Hey everybody, it's good to see you. My name is Brian, one of the pastors at the Summit, and hello not only to Summit family, but to Oaks family and to Heights family. Beloved, it's good to see you, and uh, thank you for giving me uh, this privilege of speaking to you today. Uh, we are in a series we're calling Summer Mixtape, where uh, originally what we had planned at the beginning of the year, pre the world shutting down, was uh, we would, as a family of churches, kind of swap and, and preach in one of those churches. Um, but obviously plans change, but we wanted to continue with this, and so uh, this is the way we get to continue forward. The goal of this series is very simple. We're answering a, uh, a very simple question. Here's what it is. Uh, what is one truth God has recently taught you that you sense the Spirit wanting you to share with our family of churches? So in light of that question, what I want to talk to you about today is the ministry of kindness the ministry of kindness. Um, To be honest, I feel a little insecure talking to you about this um, because I feel like I should come to you with something far less simple, far more sort of theologically complex. But this is really what God's been birthing in my life and um, really what I want to give many, many of my future years to is modeling and manifesting and leading others and taking up the ministry of kindness as an overflow of the kindness they've received from God in the gospel, that what God's been birthing in my heart and I think in our leaders' hearts is this conviction that the best way or one of the best ways for the people of God to be salt and light in a culture of decay and darkness and death is by taking up the ministry of kindness to the spheres of influence we have been entrusted with. There are a lot of reasons I'm burdened by this. Uh, I'll talk about it some as we go forward. Um, But I just think one observation I just want to make from working with people over the last, you know, we're now over four months into this global pandemic, is people are really struggling. Um, I understand that instinctually for most of us, it's easy to look at the people around us with kind of a hypercritical eye, and um, and, and consequently, sort of what we give people is shame, sarcasm, cynicism, skepticism. Um, But I just want to even start with maybe helping you have some awareness that the vast majority of the people you're going to interact with in the coming week um, are really struggling. They're probably not going to let you in on it. Even if you ask them how they're doing, they're going to take that more as like a greeting than like you're really asking how they're doing. They might, even, might not even know how, kind of what it is that's going on inside their hearts, but people are really, really struggling right now. And I think one of the most tangible and practical ways, one of the most accessible ways, when I say accessible, I just mean anybody can do this, that, that people can impact other people's lives is by manifesting gospel kindness to one another. So with all that said, very simply, here's where we're going to go in our time. Three ideas. One, I want to talk to you about how God has been kind to you in the gospel. Two, I want to help you understand that when you receive that kindness, you overflow with a kindness towards yourself. I want to talk to you about being kind to yourself. Three, I want to talk to you about receiving the kindness of God and letting that overflow and kindness to those around you. So receiving God's kindness, kindness to yourself, kindness to the people around you. Let's start here, the call and the comfort of God's kindness. Let's look at the passage um, from 1 Peter that we just read. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And uh, let me give you some context of what's going on in this particular passage. First Peter in general would just be a really great book for any Christian to read right now. First Peter is a book that basically is about navigating life in the tension of trial and triumph. 
the tension that life is tragic, but God is faithful. We see this theme emerge, for example, in 1 Peter 1.6, in your salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Or 4.12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And what much of 1 Peter is doing is it's instruction on, like, what do you actually do when you are experiencing the tension that life is tragic, but awaiting the, the faithfulness of God, longing for his kindness to spill into your life? What's interesting, actually, in 4.8, um, Peter says this. He says, remember, he's telling us about what are we supposed to do when life is tragic? Above all, and I love this when the New Testament writers do this, because a lot of times the Bible is not nearly as mysterious as we make it out to be. Sometimes they just come right out and they're like, hey, if there's one thing that marks you, here's what you need to do. Above all, here's the one thing you need to do. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. One translation puts it, above all, love each other deeply. Another, most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Before we go any further, let's just even observe that Peter is not only brilliant, but he's strikingly relevant, and he's offering us counsel 2,000 years ago that's tremendously relevant today, knowing that we as people, when we are experiencing the tragedies of life, we tend to overflow towards those around us with hurt. Hurt people tend to hurt people. And when we are tired, stressed, and anxious, the place we go to instinctually a lot of times is being very terrible to those we are closest to because we know consciously or subconsciously they'll take it and they're stuck loving us. Isn't it weird? Like, isn't it weird at all that we are so much kinder to complete strangers or mere acquaintances than we are in the people that we share a roof with a lot of times? Like what's going on in our hearts when that's what marks us? It's crucial to understand that pain, fear, anxiety, trauma always demand an outlet, a release valve. And if we're not cognizant of that reality, if we don't have healthy rhythms of processing and lamenting and grieving and um, knowing how to parse what we've experienced and assign blame correctly to those who have wounded us, we will live lives of reaction where we are hurting people who didn't even hurt us in the first place. I mean, the classic illustration of this is this is the dad who works in a stressful work environment who is yelled at by his boss, but he can't yell back. So he comes home and he yells at his wife who can't yell back, who yells at the kids, but they can't yell back. And all of a sudden you got three-year-olds just kicking the family dog out of anxiety, and the family dog is like, what did I do? I'm like the most innocent party in this entire scheme. Hurting people often hurt people, and tragically, a lot of times what we do is we hurt people who didn't have anything to do with what initially wounded us, and the cycle of chaos only continues. Peter's so brilliant here. He's saying life is tragic, but when you feel life's tragedies, rather than operating out of instinct, and lashing out of the people that you know will take it and are stuck loving you. Be marked by kindness. Be marked by grace. Above all else, as if your life depended on it, keep loving one another deeply. 
But there's a comfort that comes here with God's kindness as well. It's crucial to understand this. The Bible always gives gospel motivation and points to gospel transformation when we are called to do something. And so what Peter is doing here is, I'm going to give you a reference here that's about 30 years old, and some of you won't get it, the majority of you won't, but Seinfeld is that good. I still am just going to run with it. And um, if you don't know, then you're missing out. This is not a George Costanza point and be angry like, you be nice! No, there's, there's deep-seated gospel motivation that is being given here. That the point that Peter is making is that the ministry of kindness is an overflow. It is a reflection of the way we've been ministered to by the kindness of God. There were two images going through my mind all week as I was meditating on this passage. The first was a pitcher of water. The second is a mirror. And I think that can really be an image. I would encourage you to kind of imagine this together. If you need to close your eyes, that could be helpful to you to really try to imagine this and to wrap your mind around the point that Peter is making here. So start with a pitcher of water. The idea that Peter is presenting here is that just in the way that a pitcher of water has so much poured into it, it can't help but overflow with its contents. So in the gospel, God has so poured his kindness into our hearts, minds, souls, lives, that when we grasp this, we can't help but overflow with the kindness of God to the people around us. With a mirror, that's the second image, that of a mirror, in the same way that it reflects whatever is in that mirror's presence, so our kindness is not only reflective of the kindness of God, but far more crucially, the presence of God, the character of God, so that God receives the glory that he is exclusively deserving of. Look at, look at how Peter is connecting these dots in the remainder of the passage. He basically goes on to name tangible expressions of kindness. For example, he talks about hospitality, he talks about service, he talks about the way we speak to one another. And here he concludes his thought in verse 10. As each has received a gift, talking about from God, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In order that, so why do we do this? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So do you see these two images emerge here? You've received God's varied grace. Now steward it, gift it, pour it out in the same way that a pitcher of water overflows with what's been poured into it. So overflow with the kindness of God that's been poured into your heart. Reflect like a mirror God's varied grace. Reflect God's presence so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To take this from one additional angle, just to show you this theme biblically, and and just the significance of this. It's just amazing to me. It's striking me how overlooked this simple mandate of Scripture is. I just want to point you to the famous Fruits of the Spirit passage um, or verses from Paul in Galatians chapter 5, where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. (laughs) Say that with me there kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The point that Paul is making here is that the tangible evidence that the Spirit of God is dwelling in our hearts, that the gospel seed is birthing and bearing good fruit in our lives is whether or not we are marked by kindness as well as these other characteristics. 
And this is just so burdensome for us to get because I think far too often the people of God feel like they can opt out of kindness. They feel like they can be like, well, you know what, I tried that that one time and it didn't work very well. And so now snark and sarcasm is actually what I've substituted for kindness. Shame is what I've substituted for kindness. A lot of times we take these personality inventories and they give us permission to opt out of the clear mandates of scripture. Well, actually, I'm this on the Enneagram. I'm more of a challenger. That means I'm not that much of a people person. I don't really do people. uh, So I don't really do the whole patience, kindness, gentleness thing. Beloved, Do you know what trumps any personality inventory you take? Is what the word of God tells us. The spirit of God bursts within us through the seed of the gospel. And the seed of the gospel, when it's truly in our hearts, bursts the fruit of kindness, the scriptures tell us. Just before we go any further, I want you to meditate to marvel at the kindness of God. The God who in the gospel does not pour his wrath out on his children, but instead sends his son to die in our place to take the wrath that we were deserving of. The God who does not kill, but is killed in our place. The God who does not wield the sword, but receives the sword to be pierced for our transgressions. Right now, ask the Spirit of God to pour into your heart a newfound awe and wonder and worship at the kindness that you have received and that you, like a pitcher of water, would overflow with kindness as a consequence. That you, like a mirror, would reflect the character of God so that he might receive glory. That you, the way that a plant births certain fruits that reflects the seed that was planted in the soil, so you would birth the fruit of kindness to reflect that the gospel is implanted in your heart. Now, what I want to do with the remaining time is I want to take this glorious reality and I want to apply it to two particular spheres of influence. The first is to yourself and the second is to those around you. But let me start with, this would be easy to overlook. But at least first, this is crucial for you to understand how you first have to have a ministry of kindness to you. We have to have a ministry of kindness to ourselves. Two truths that God's just been teaching me over the past year or so, just in my own life and in working with people. One, it's far too common for the beloved child of God to hate themselves. It's far too common for the beloved child of God to hate themselves. I've just been struck by this, is how the Christian, and Christian comes with an identity. It comes with a definition. It comes with a declaration that you are a beloved son or daughter of God. What is true of Jesus is true of you. So for example, when Jesus is baptized and it's heralded over him, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So for whoever is in Jesus and has received the work of Jesus through the finished work of the gospel, so the Father says the same thing about you. You are not just a wretched sinner who's happened to be forgiven. You're not just a soldier or an employee in the Lord's army or corporation who has a task. You are an adopted, beloved son or daughter of God. And consequently, I heard somebody else say this recently, and it pierced my soul when I heard this. 
If that's the reality, should we not be as kind to ourselves as God is to us? Should we not see ourselves through the lens of um, the way that the Father sees us? But I think far too often, whether it's us standing in the mirror and evaluating our physical appearance, um, whether it's us putting our head down at the pillow, on the pillow at the end of the day to think of all that we've failed to accomplish and consequently we are failures, if it's the feeling at the beginning of the day when we wake up and we feel like we start at zero and we feel like losers and we feel like if I don't get this and this and this and this done, I'm not sure if I'm valuable, far too often there is a negative and I would say even demonic self-talk that is dismissing the identity that God has given us in the gospel. Beloved, at the beginning of the day, you do not start at a zero. You start at like a million. I don't know what units. Like there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or love you less. And consequently, if you've not been as productive in pandemic life, if you haven't learned that third language yet, it doesn't mean you're a failure. You're beloved, a beloved son or daughter of the father. Two, it's far too difficult to be genuinely kind to others if we aren't kind to ourselves. See, here's the consequence of this outwardly, is if we inwardly hate ourselves, it's impossible, it's impossible to genuinely outwardly love the people around us. See, what's going to happen if you hate yourself is one of two things. Either you're going to take out on other people the things that you hate about yourself. The things that you hate about yourself, you will see in everybody else around, and you'll be punishing people in the same way that you want to punish yourself. Or you will masquerade kindness in the hopes of getting back from other people that which you so desperately desire. This is the person who wants to be complimented about the new shirt they got, but they don't really know how to go about it, so they compliment somebody else's shirt in the hopes of, like, I'm wearing a new shirt, right? You see, but, but it's far darker than that, where a lot of times our kindness is transactional. We are giving it only in order to get it back. And that is not giving. The gospel gives with nothing expected in return. The gospel is not transactional in that way. And so until we can be kind as an overflow, that I love myself, I love myself, not out of some weird pseudo-pop psychology, uh, self-help ideology, but instead, because the gospel declares I'm a beloved son or daughter of God, so I'm going to see myself the way the Father sees me. I'm going to accept his identity of me. Until I receive that, I cannot genuinely be kind to others as well and see other people through that lens. So we're kind to ourselves, and then we're kind to those around us. That's really what Peter is focused on here, the ministry of kindness towards others. Again, remember in verse 8, Peter says, above all, the one thing, keep loving one another earnestly. So we'd be like, well, okay, what in the world does that look like, Peter? Glad you asked. He actually gives three particular expressions of this. The first is hospitality. He says this in verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I would have loved for him to go further to tell us how to do this in the midst of a global pandemic, but he didn't. So anyways, hospitality, Two, service. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength of God that God supplies. Three, the words we use. So this is again in verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. It's interesting phraseology, but the idea here is very powerful. 
that when somebody encounters us and we speak into their lives, we are speaking the very words of God. When we speak, it feels like God is speaking. When we speak, people are encountering the presence of God. And the scriptures are very serious about the power of our words. For example, I would encourage you to read James 3 uh, about this and the power of our words to build up or to tear it down, to either accept or reject the ministry of kindness that has been entrusted to us. And so Peter is telling us that as we take up this ministry of kindness and as we above all else love each other deeply, we consider how we speak to one another and whether when people are encountering me and especially encountering my words, are they encountering somebody who just carelessly and flippantly tears down or somebody who is so saturated in the word of God, so in tune with the voice of God, so aware of the presence of God that they encounter the kindness of God himself. For when God speaks, he creates, he comforts, he builds up, he gifts new identities like this is my beloved son or daughter. So with all that said, I just want to leave you with two questions and then I'll just pray and love you very much. Thank you for the gift of of me just being able to speak to you and share some of what God's been producing in my heart. But two questions. One, we're going to pray and just ask God to speak into this. Does how I speak reflect how God speaks? Do my words build up? Do they gift identities? Do they raise up? Do they remind people that they are beloved by God? Does how I speak reflect how God speaks? Maybe even think about not just where you speak, but what you post. Not just what you say publicly, but what you say to your spouse, your kids. Does how I speak reflect how God speaks? Two, who is one person I can speak the kindness of God towards? And I would say today, if possible, who's one person? So here's the amazing thing about Jesus. is Jesus in the Golden Rule in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been walking through this as a church. This has been pretty revolutionary for me. He's not just calling us to cease bad actions. He's calling us to take up the work of the ministry as well. The point of it being that the goal here is not just being silent. The goal here is like, well, I wasn't sarcastic this past week. I didn't say something mean. Rather, the goal is a call to action. How can you, in your words, initiate the ministry of kindness? I don't know anybody in your life who is too encouraged right now. You know anybody in your life who's too encouraged right now? You feel too encouraged right now? You feel like if somebody texted you right now and said, hey, I love you and appreciate you and see what you're doing and I see what God's doing in your life, you'd be like, man, I'm just so tired of these texts. Of course not. Of course not. So I want you to listen to the voice of God and ask him to bring to mind a person in your life who's just one person that you can initiate and manifest this kindness, not just to do it one time and not feel guilty about it and move on, but to cultivate a rhythm of this in your life so that the kindness of God might overflow out of your heart. Father, we love you. We're thankful for how you've been kind to us. And I pray that in a, uh, a season where it sort of feels like um, we got to absolutely just default to shame and sarcasm and cynicism, the gospel would produce something supernatural within us. Gospel kindness, not niceness, not weakness, but kindness. The kindness manifested in the life of Jesus. I pray to your beloved children right now, you would remind them of their identity in you. I pray that you would rebuke us, discipline us in the way that a good dad does, 
of the things that we shouldn't be saying or shouldn't say. Pray you would rebuke us of the things that we should say that we don't say, of the opportunities that we miss out on uh, for encouraging and loving and blessing other people with our words. And I do pray in your kindness you would bring one person, at least one person to mind, that even just today we can just reach out to and say, hey, we love you, we see you, we appreciate you, um, because we're seeing the gold you're cultivating in the people's lives around us. Father, we love you. We're thankful for this time. We ask these things in your powerful name. Amen.